0: Well, good morning. morning. I trust you're refreshed and you're eager and you're hungry to hear the Word of God. And it's been my prayer that you will leave this time of worship together changed and conformed evermore into the likeness of our Lord Jesus. I'm so blessed to see my dear brother Paul. Yes, we've been in the trenches, we've wept together, we've prayed together. We've encouraged one another. And it really gives me, as much as I miss you working together every day, it gives me tremendous amount of joy to see how God is using you and your gifts to be salt and light and be in a transforming work in our community. And I give thanks and glory to God for you, brother. Isn't God good? Well, over the the last couple of weeks and months, we've been blessed to hear God's Word faithfully preached and focusing on the topic, keeping in step with the Spirit. And it's it's a beautiful concept as you think about it, we can kind of get out of step in the Spirit and I'm blessed to have a godly wife who loves me enough to say things. I didn't say this first service because she wasn't here, but seeing here there, intently staring at me, it just, she will lovingly say to me, Mike, are you walking in the flesh or are you walking in the spirit? <laughs> and if it's, I'm walking in the flesh. I usually get defensive and have some excuse. But quickly, she just looks at me and my heart melts. And uh, there's some, some eye contact going on down here. Uh, some empathy, right, brother? But it's... it's uh, but keeping in step in the Spirit, a big part of that is having a body which also includes our family members, and and to you men out there, your wives. Can I have an amen? Amen. 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 Having wives that uh, will ask us those tough questions. But today we're going to be hearing the 11th message this morning. And I wanted to focus on um, a passage in Ephesians 4 and focusing on the unity of the Spirit. And before we begin, while I was studying and preparing to share... I'm just burdened that myself, I needed a reminder. And I thought it would be good for all of us to have a reminder as to how we approach God's Word, how we approach the message. And so before we begin, I want to just kind of set the stage to prepare our hearts for the Word. And historically... Historic Christianity refers to the four attributes of Scripture. Number one, necessity. While general revelation can be seen in the physical world around us and sometimes felt within, the Gospel is revealed only by special revelation given to us in Scripture. This is it, folks. Second, authority. All that the Scriptures teach, it teaches with authority in matters of life and faith. Scriptures stand in judgment of us. We don't stand in judgment of Scripture. Although that's popular in this day and age. Third, clarity. Sometimes called persecuity. This basically means that the Scriptures are clear and understandable when interpreted correctly. Fourth, sufficiency. This attribute contends that the Scriptures reveal enough of what we need to know about God and grace and all of life. We don't need an immediate revelation from God and shouldn't expect it. If we don't listen to what he's inspired and what has been written and preserved, we ought not to listen to anything or anyone else. As Paul says in Galatians one eight. even if an angel of heaven comes to you with another gospel. So with those four things in mind, we'll see today that... In today's text in Ephesians 4, 1-16, we'll see a picture of a unity and a submission in the Spirit and how to practically just keep in step with the Spirit. That being said, to be in step with the Spirit means to be in Christ. And as such, we are members with one another. Take a look around you. Those of you who are in Christ, you are brothers and sisters. You are bought with the blood of our Lord Jesus. And we are members one for another. Now, please open your Bibles to Ephesians 4. If you don't have one with you, pull up your phone or uh, the Bible in the pew in front of you and open to Ephesians 4. In a moment, I'm going to read verses 1 through 16. Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May God bring forth much fruit from the reading and hearing of his holy word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please open ears and hearts. May the soil in our hearts be Plowed and ready to receive your word. May it find fertile soil that it would be, that it is able to save us, to save our souls, and will result in the building of your church for your glory. I pray these things in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus. Amen. I talked with Carol as I was on and off while I was studying. I said, Carol, wouldn't this be a great 16-week um, uh, series? And uh, I don't know I may go back and just start studying and start breaking it out into 16 messages because this section of Scripture is so packed. But today, um, since my dear brother Paul has... Uh, <laughs> I've joyce, joyfully relinquished uh, part of the, the sermon. Well, we don't. Oh, I don't have a watch on. Never mind. We're, <laughs> we're going to uh, go quickly. So, in, as we look at the topic of unity, we're going to be focusing on verses 1 through 7, then again, 11 to 16. And in verse 1, the Apostle Paul, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, we see in several places in Scripture the concept where Paul is a prisoner, and he's a prisoner for the Lord. It's interesting; he doesn't talk about being a prisoner for Rome or this uh, petty tyrant or that petty tyrant. Um, he's a prisoner for the for the Lord. And in Acts chapters 23, 25, and twenty-eight, it's mentioned there that Paul was a prisoner. In Paul's letter to the Christians in Ephesus, he twice uses the word prisoner, saying, you know, in, in chapter 3, verse 1, the chapter before this, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then also in Ephesians 6, he alludes to the picture of being a prisoner, starting in, in uh, I think, in, in verse 18, going down 20, it says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul and I didn't compare notes beforehand, didn't know he was going to be talking about uh, uh, ambassadors, but he says, I am an ambassador in chains. He's com- In his midst of his circumstances, he's compelled to speak, and he says, pray for me that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. That's not the kind of ambassador that we send out from Washington, D.C., is it? Right, we, won't, we, won't, we won't go there, but... Paul, as he talks about being a prisoner, he's reminding us that he is not his own. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Galatians 2.20, a well-known passage. And then another passage he says, "You are not your own; you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body." First Corinthians six nineteen and twenty. So we see Paul is admonished and, and and encourages us that we need to be about our Lord's business in every area of our life. Now, as we look at Paul's message, we we see next that in keeping in step with the spirit he goes on and he says I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace as we start breaking down that passage that first phrase, Paul says, I urge you. I, I don't think um, the particular translation that I read from and um, I'm using right now, the ESV really does the, 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 the original language well. In the Greek, it's parakele, parakelo, parakelo, parakelo. No, I don't know Greek. Well, Paul's not saying, hey, brothers, I think it would be a good idea not to do that. Or, I think it's a good idea that you should do this. No, Paul is saying, in the KJV, it says, I'm beseeching you. I'm begging you. I'm pushing. I'm admonishing. I'm imploring you. You, know, you get the picture of Paul on his knees begging. Don't do this. Or, yes, brothers and sisters, do this. He's urging us. What does he implore and begs to do? He says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What is that worthy manner that God has called his people to? Scripture is filled with examples of what that Looks like, in one passage in Philippians 1,27:28, it says, "Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, listen to this: I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel." And not frightened in anything by your opponents. So we have this picture again and again of unity within the body, keeping in step with the spirit, being at one with one another. It goes on and it says, This manner that is worthy, how is that shown? With humility, with gentleness, with patience. Bearing with each other. We strive for unity. In verse 3, it goes on and says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. What unity is not being in step with the Spirit, having unity... Doesn't mean walking away when things get tough. Our relationships, our relationships in Christ, will have challenges. We will have challenges with our brothers and sister, sisters. We need to strive to work together, and sometimes, sadly, that doesn't always happen. Carol and I were talking this week, and and. Um, I think the exact verse, uh, as far as it depends on me, try to live at peace with every person. That's sort of a paraphrase, but sometimes it's just not possible. But we are to strive for that. Now, ask yourselves this question, and I was asking myself this question this week. Am I eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit Most of the time, yes. Sometimes, not so much. That's usually when I get one of those looks from Carol, and uh, I'm exhorted to by her love and example to repent. But in first going looking at another passage as to what that unity of the spirit looks like, uh, in First John one seven we find it says, "If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another." Having unity, having fellowship, having peace is predicated on walking in the light. If you're walking along, you're on a path, you're on your path of life. Um, One of the things that was so sweet when Paul and I worked together daily is we had fellowship on a level that was unique because we're both walking in the light we could bear our souls we could cry out to God together and that is is something that's beyond um, mortal human understanding Um, it's a precious thing and at the same time we have to ask ourselves can we have unity of the spirit can it happen with unbelievers can it? How many of you have family members who are not believers? Do you have unity in the Spirit? Do you have fellowship? That's kind of like, you know, how to... There's a wall. There's a barrier. And it's it's there for a reason. In 2 Corinthians 6.14... We have a strong admonition It says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness or what fellowship has light with darkness? We're not going to have unity and fellowship with the world and with people, honestly, who are walking in darkness. Now, does that mean we have nothing to do with them? No, 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 no. People have kind of raised their eyebrows because once in a while I'll go into a bar. But the only time I go into a bar is be, it's, the reason is there's somebody in there that I'm going in to talk to because they need to hear the gospel and they need to be encouraged to repent. Um, there's t- so we don't fellowship on the same level with unbelievers but sometimes we do go after them to chase them down for the purpose of witnessing. If they still won't listen, well, we leave that in God's hands. The next phrase this passage talks about is the bond of peace. Can we have, as I already mentioned, peace with the world, peace with unbelievers? And the hardest thing both for Carol and I is peace with family members who are not children of God. Um, the part that grieves me not maybe every day but grieves me at least once a week is that I don't have peace with blood family members but thanks be to God I view all of you as my brothers and sisters in Christ we have the unity based on the one Lord one faith one baptism one spirit one God Father of all we have that unity and so unity of the spirit can't truly happen with unbelievers we've already talked about the bond of peace and and I was trying to express what does that look like and and uh, I asked Carol what did she think and so we're, we're thinking you know in ASL how would you sign that you know bond of peace but really it's uh, two people coming together first a bond with God, a bond with other people and bond with one another. Um, sometimes English is very limiting but that kind of a bond is something that's only for the children of God. And uh, that depth of unity is expressed by our Lord Jesus in John 14:20. He says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you through the Holy Spirit. Take some time to meditate on that truth. God through His Spirit is, dwells within you. Next, as we move down into verse 4 and 5, it says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Paul tells us that the basis of our unity is there's one body. There's one church universal. Now, there's a church visible. This morning we see people of different ages male female seniors little children that's the visible church but the true church those who are called and redeemed that is the the, the one body that one body has one lord we have one faith we have one baptism, one God and Father of all. Does that sound like unity? Do you see any division there? Do you see how there is a submission to God the Father in the body of Christ and there's there's a precious unity there? This last week I interacted with somebody uh, doing some work in India and the problem there is they acknowledge that, yeah, Jesus or God is Father of all, just like all the other deities. And the concept is God Father of all because that's what it says in this particular English translation. I'm thinking, that's not necessarily what the scripture teaches at all. So I looked into the Greek and the word that's found here in the Greek is pas, which in the context has the definition collectively, some of all the types. And I was looking at the New Testament Greek lexicon, I'll quote, it's explained this way. The words world and all are used in some seven or eight senses in scripture. It is very rarely that all means all persons. So God is not the Father of all. He's not doesn't mean all persons taken individually. The words are generally used to signify that Christ has redeemed some of all sorts, some Jews, some Gentiles, some rich, some poor, and has not restricted his ad- redemption to either Jew or or Gentile so we see God has called out people from all various backgrounds and languages cultures and tribes and nations but we see here our unity is not a universal unity and there's a lot of universalism going on today so we see how the, how the unity comes together and we're reminded, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. How does that happen? In verse 7, it says, but grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. And as I was studying, it's just what does that gift, what does that grace look like? And there's a famous theologian named Juan Calvino That uh, I'm going to quote from. He says, He now describes the manner in which God establishes and preserves among us a mutual relation. No member of the body of Christ is endowed with such perfection as to be able, without the assistance of others, to supply his own necessities. What does that mean in today's vernacular? We need each other, brothers and sisters. A certain proportion is allotted to each, and it is only by communicating with each other that all enjoy what is sufficient for maintaining their respective places in the body. More unity. The diversity of gifts is discussed in another epistle and very nearly with the same object. 1 Corinthians 12.4 says, There are diversities of gifts, but the one, the same spirit. Such a diversity we are there taught is so far from injuring that it tends to promote and strengthen the harmony of believers. The meaning of this verse may be summed up this way. On no one has God bestowed all things. That means Brother John or Jason or Rod, they don't have it all. Lots of amens there, (laughs) especially from some wives. Uh, It's good. It keeps you humble. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Boy, all right. It'll be an interesting dinner conversation. uh, But going on, it says, being thus dependent on each other, they find it necessary to throw their individual gifts into the common stock and thus to render mutual aid. The words grace and gift remind us that whatever may be our attainments, we ought not to be proud of them. Remember, we talked about walking in humility, it's not us, and it's a gift. And we're reminded that whatever may be our attainments, we well, I just said that, because they lay us under deeper obligations to God. These blessings are said to be the gift of Christ. For as the Apostle, first of all, mentioned, the Father, so is his aim, as we shall see, is to represent all that we are and all that we have as gathered together in Christ. That's uh, Pastor Juan Calvino. So, we the body of Christ is given gifts, and each of you have. And we just we had a study um, on the topic of spiritual gifts and how God wants us to use our gifts to serve the body. And we'll we'll see now that God gives. Starting in verse eleven, He says, "And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for." Building up the body of Christ, ongoing process, until we all attain. That means, you know, the stragglers, you, you, you got to kind of bring some of them along. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ we see here that Christ gives his body leaders, servant leaders, for the purpose of equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Unfortunately, here in the U.S. and in other Western countries, church ends up being a spectator sport where you have all the people sitting in the pews And you have one person who gets up for an hour, does everything. Maybe they'll have a professional um, Estes Park winning song leader with an amazing voice. And basically you're entertained for 65, 70 minutes a week. But that's that's not the example we find in Scripture. The example we find in Scripture is God has given these gifted leaders for the purpose of building and equipping or perfecting the saints I'm wrestling if I should say this something the lord wants me to speak up here your enjoyment of god's blessing I think was directly related to how much you resist the leaders that want to train and equip and to help see you mature in Christ. I know in my life, when I have not wanted to, or I was having tendencies of not being teachable, um, God's loving chastisement was was not uh, joyful, but rather sorrowful. And so... um, Work with God's spirit and the body of Christ and the leaders that he has provided to equip you to do the work of ministry. And the reason why God has given these leaders is for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith. It's God's will that we all, from the little ones, I saw last week at Awana, the Cubbies, these guys, they're striving for attaining to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. So we're doing that here in our congregation with Cubbies. Brother Paul Aiken uh, is, is working at the other a spectrum um, with the seasoned citizens so that they until they all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God that's what our congregation is about and then there's the, the great um, rest of us in between and I pray that uh, we're also about that work and that unity of the faith We have hope because God is going to do that work in us. There's a beautiful passage in Romans 8:29 about that uniting us together. It says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God is building his church. He's maturing his Church, his people. We are the church. That's another sermon. But we are the church. We are his people. Verse fourteen, it explains why we need to mature. This is a reality that, um, sadly, there's a, there is um, not a lot of maturity in Christ's church in, in, our, in our day. Verse 14 So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes before the worship service I was talking with uh, Brother Eric Anderson and uh, he was talking about how on a Navy ship if you're carrying something you only let me see did I get this right you only carry something with one hand and your other hand is you're holding onto the ship because uh, if there's waves and wind and the ship gets thrown if you're holding something with both hands what happens? It's not going to be good. Uh, yeah, I don't think you know ships are made out of well naval sh- navy ships are made out of metal. You get thrown, um, you hit metal. Um, the metal wins. It's it's so. But as he was sharing that, I was thinking about this passage. We're admonished that we may no longer be children. What happens with children? They get tossed to and fro you know unless they're young navy men and then they're taught and trained to hang on to things but they're carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness in deceitful schemes over the last couple of weeks my heart has been heavy because i see so many children in christ's church I'm speaking to, um, I I don't have any one person or group of people, but I see people being tossed to and fro like a little tiny sailboat at the mercy of a gale, strength winds and 20-foot waves. And children like going to an amusement park they like going on the boat rides and they goes high up in the air and comes roaring down the hill and there's a splash and, and it's fun. It's exciting. It's adrenaline producing. But that's not how we're to live our lives. And sadly, I'm seeing a lot of people who um, name the name of Christ who are promoting online a movie called The Shack. I got in a discussion about a week and a half ago with one of my former mission colleagues and she was promoting it and saying it, it gives a... I won't go into all the details, but we went back and forth and realizing she's being tossed to and fro. She has been deceived by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. She's following every wind of doctrine and my heart breaks because I see brothers and sisters not maturing in Christ, but their lives their lives are being storm tossed. We see people slandering others, others who've gone astray and have are enjoying the pop culture of Joel Olstein and when i privately went to him and i said brother i'm concerned for your soul and he says i've never been better I'm living my best life now and he too he broke off contact why is the why is the path that leads to destruction also we see people being tossed to and fro, backbiting Christian teens obtaining abortions, pride. Um, Just lately, uh, the last couple of days, my heart was heavy. Uh, Something came across Facebook uh, promoting Beauty and the Beast. And five, um, I think all five ladies who named the name of Christ indicated that they're, they're going to go see the movie. Well, Al Mohler and other Christian leaders have said this movie shows blatant homosexuality. Carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It may be some of you. This passage made me think about what are the things in my life that I've allowed in that are tossing me to and fro? And how can I be on guard? Please give thought to that. In closing, Paul gives his people an alternative to the last couple of verses. Instead of being like children tossed to and fro, he says, this... this He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Beautiful thing. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If God's people here at Ramsey Creek are speaking the truth in love, they're growing up in every way, each person is being equipped and working properly, the people are going to have hope. Our lives are going to be conformed into the image of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we will keep walking in step with the Spirit in unity in the bonds of God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that the, the good work you have begun in your people Your word will continue to sanctify and conform us into the image of your son. Those here today who are not born again, I pray that your spirit would convict and draw them to Christ. Show them their condition. Show them that they're being tossed to and fro and at the mercy of the waves and the culture and that the only rock is Christ. That there is one Lord, one faith, one body. Thank you, Father, for your word. Pray now. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.